Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. Alabama has lost. We're at the point now where one of Kansas State, Florida Atlantic, Princeton, Creighton, or San Diego State will be in the NCAA Tournament Championship game. There are going to be no number one seeds in the Elite Eight for the first time, I think, in NCAA Tournament history. This is turned into an absolutely bonkers NCAA Tournament. Mark and I are going to break it all down. We're going to talk about some of the upsets we've seen in the 16 thus far. We're going to talk about some NBA draft prospects. We're going to talk about a lot of different things that are going on across the college basketball sphere. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA defensive player of the year ranked at the end of the show, given that we're coming up on the final two weeks of the season. Right, Mark? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Somehow. Um, Yeah, we're there, which is uh, wild to say, but yeah. I love it. We're closing in. It's going to be great. Okay, let's start here before we get into the everything else of the NBA. Alabama loses today. I believe the final score is 71 to 64 against San Diego State. San Diego State has been one of the best defensive teams in the entire country all season. They are a team that makes it very difficult for you to get anything inside whatsoever. Uh, Nathan Mensa. Their big man who's like six foot ten, long arms, great anticipation, great drop coverage defender, one of the best defensive players in the country. They have a lot of super strong physical on ball defenders that are willing to switch and just get after it. I thought that this was going to be a really interesting, intriguing scouting game to watch for Brandon Miller because of all of these reasons. And boy, was it. Uh, it was definitely interesting, to say the least. Brandon Miller goes three for 19 in this game, one for 10 from three, ends up with 11 rebounds, had some flashy passing moments, but also turned the ball over six times and only had nine points. That's kind of the difference in this game, in my opinion, for Alabama, just beyond the disparate shooting line. I mean, I think they went three for 27 from three in this game, and that's just like a weird foible that will happen sometimes when you're in the NCAA tournament. Mark, what is your overall impression of how San Diego State beat Alabama in this game? 
Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, this was the kind of team that uh, I, I personally, like I didn't expect San Diego State to win, but I thought like this is much like we saw what Missouri was able to do at times this year. Like Missouri, like just having a, a bunch of guys who are big, who are physical, who can switch. Like not that Missouri is some awesome defensive team, but I think those are the teams that have given Alabama the most problems this year are the teams that can be big and physical and play that way. And to be fair, like the whistle was was interesting in the tournament. It has been all tournament on on both men's and women's side. Um, and that definitely did not play in Alabama's favor tonight, like to be blunt. Like, and I'm not saying that that that's the, why San Diego State deserved to lose or something, but um point being, like having people who could get into their jerseys, who could be extremely physical and who frankly, I mean, they they felt like they got killed on the glass. Um it, it probably more than what the box score indicates, but I thought that was that was absolutely absolutely huge, and especially when you're talking about what that would look like for Brandon Miller. I mean, coming into this game, that was like I had that circled in red. So I was like, I think it's going to be a really interesting touch point. Like, obviously, I don't want to overemphasize one game, but I do think when you're talking about what the, uh, the actual lens could be for looking at what this um, what this could look like at the next level for him, I do think it's a really interesting touch point. You're never as high as your best game in terms of stock. You're never as low as your worst game in terms of stock. Like, let's just say that from the top here. And Brandon Miller, it seems, is dealing with some sort of groin impingement. I don't know if it's an injury, what we would call it. Whatever he has going on, let's acknowledge that as a potential factor. Brandon Miller was very bad in this game. He This was one of the worst games I've seen him play. Uh, point blank this season, maybe maybe the worst game he's played this season. And it's unfortunate that that happened. I think that San Diego State's defense played a real factor in that. I think that the fact that they just switched every screen action made it so that he wasn't able to get the mismatches that he is typically capable of getting. Throughout the season in second halves, when games have gotten tough for Alabama, they have gone to more of like Brandon Miller at the point and letting him run the show in order – to try and get some of their shooters free in order to get Javon Quinterly, Mark Sears on the second side, try and do some different things offensively, invert their offense a little bit. Against San Diego State, you can't really do that effectively if they're just going to switch everything outside of having Nathan Mensah. And by the way, Nathan Mensah can move is part of it as well. So when you have this five who can just switch out onto him, and Brandon had a couple of moments where he tried to string him out and just like couldn't get by him, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really, really hard uh, for him to get anywhere. The thing about this game that is different than anything Brandon Miller will see in the NBA is that San Diego State really packs the paint, and no team can pack the paint like that in the NBA with the level of shooting, spacing out there, and just with the geometry of the court. Geometry of the court is way wider in the NBA, 23.5 to or 23.9 three-point line versus uh, 26, 20.6 in college, 21, something like that. Can't remember off the top of my head. But the court is wider. The driving lanes are wider in the NBA. There is a real chance for Brandon Miller. There is a real excuse, I guess I would say, for Brandon Miller to point to this and say, this is just not like anything I'm ever going to see in the NBA. It's not worth exaggerating over it. I think there's a lot to that. I also think that a lot of what we saw tonight was Brandon being unable to get any sort of separation. And then once that happened, 
it felt like to me at least that some of his processing and some of his process in general in the way that he was attacking and sequencing things really fell by the wayside. And you saw the turnovers start to be a problem. You saw um, some really wild passes, some wild ball handling decisions. That I think is what worries me about this game more than anything else is almost the process as opposed to like Brandon going one for 10 from three uh, in this game. Yeah, I think that's all really fair. And I think maybe the reason, uh, not saying that you're overreacting, but I think maybe the reason I'm not having as staunch a reaction to it is just because I, like, I don't have any kind of expectation for him to be a primary in the NBA. Like, I've been pretty out on that all year, even with the improvements. I think, like, I I don't want to say that I'm fully out on that ever happening. Like, I think, you know, you always want to be open to the highest possible outcomes. But I think, uh, I can't remember who, who said this during the game, but, um, you know, basically just mentioned like his reads are getting extremely predictable. And I think that that played out a ton today, like exactly like you're mentioning. Okay. Two to the ball. I'm going to hit the roller or try and find skip. And it felt like the way that like he had a couple of nice passes in the game, but exactly like you're mentioning those were all early. And then as the game started to wear on, it really felt like San Diego state weared into, um, keyed into what he was trying to do, what he was trying to hit, what his reads were looking like. And, And granted, like, He's kind of early in that process of becoming an on-ball guy who can do like this kind of stuff, you know, all the way stretched out, running ball screens um, at this level. But it's like you can't just ignore that. It still looked what it looked like. It was a like I said, I think it's the worst that I've seen him play in quite a while. And, you know, look, like I wrote a thing last week basically explaining how the Scoot Henderson – versus Brandon Miller debate is genuinely a thing now in NBA front offices. They are discussing this at a real level. Is, you know, Brandon the guy that we would take it to? Is Scoot the guy that we would take it to? I've been pretty clear. I would take Scoot. I just trust Scoot's explosiveness, his ability as uh, a high-level on-ball creator who can pass, who can process the game, who is going to collapse the paint every single time he touches it. I will hopefully trust my developmental staff if I was working with a team to fix the shooting with Brandon. It's all about the fact that he's six foot nine has a long way to go. Uh, We'll continue to grow into his frame. We'll get stronger. We'll be a lot harder to stop once he gets that lower body strength and core strength that I think San Diego state took advantage of throughout the game today. I would still just take Scoot and take the guy that I think is like straight up a primary. I think he's one of the best guards I've evaluated. I feel good with that. Uh, But Brandon Miller is a terrific prospect in a number of rights. It's just that for me that that's where I'm at. And it sounds like you're kind of on the Scoot train as well here. Yeah, no, I've been on the Scoot train the entire time. Like I've never really felt that as much as I like Brandon and have grown on him this year, he's grown on me this year. I, I just can't get there. Like, I I think in some ways, uh, a playing with ignite tends to uh, downtrod uh, how good of a prospect Scoot is. Like he's playing against much stiffer opponents. When you can consider what his competition is, he has worse teammates. Like just on a per 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 player basis, um, and he's being asked to do a lot more and in different different ways and. So I think you look at, you know, he hit his real height when they played Wemby and he had those games. And I think people saw like, oh, wow, okay, this is tangible. I can see this. 
That's yeah. obviously before college is kicking off. And it feels like nobody who is talking has watched Scoot play in months. And part of that is his injury. But I, I you think know that what, just though? feeds into the cycle. Mark, I'll tell you this, man. Like, NBA teams do watch him. And, and like, I have talked to high-level decision makers in the NBA who are like, this is a thing. Like we are, we will consider Brandon ahead of Scoot. I talked to a couple that had Brandon. They like, look, we would lean Brandon right now, you know, three months out from the draft. You never know what the process is going to look like. Information, background, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, no, making no decisions three months before the draft because you have to make them before the draft. But I've talked to enough that like Brandon ahead of Scoot, I, I disagree with them. And like, I tell them, that in those conversations i'm just yeah, like i no, would rather have scoot. but it is a thing and it's worth discussing nonetheless because they're discussing it and they should have those discussions you should continue to pit prospects against one another uh in those rooms and in terms of when you're scouting just in order to try and gain more insights into those prospects as you're trying to evaluate them moving forward. This is why I play the game with Mark at the end of some shows where I do his least favorite thing in the world yep. and force him to pick one of his favorite children or the other uh, because it brings out real talking points and real discussion points. Um, yeah. Look, we don't know what the groin injury looks like for Brandon Miller. Hopefully he gets healthy. There's also the factor, as Bryce Simon says in the YouTube comments, of you know shorter lead guard that has some efficiency questions versus bigger wing in an NBA that continues to balloon up in terms of size. The paradigm that every NBA team is looking for, positional size, positional skill, length, athleticism, everything like that. I, I get that it's a conversation. I just think Can it's good. Can I posit something off of that for you, okay. actually? Please, let's do it. I was, I was workshopping this today. Something that I was thinking about after, because you and I were texting about re-speaking. Okay, oh, we're, we're workshopping takes on the pod. I love it. Yeah, and I think, I was talking about this with our, our, our friend Zach Milner yesterday, too. I think it is, so much gets brought up about how it's harder to be a big in the NBA, and I agree with that. But I think the hardest position to be in the NBA now is a guard. Like, the, the sheer difference uh, in volume of, what the highest level guards are compared to how hard it is just to be a rotation guard. Like either it it feels like you are either like the best of the best as a guard, you're a starter, you're bona fide there, or you're almost out of the NBA. Like obviously there are some guys who fall in the middle there, but I think to me, that's part of what makes Scoot so interesting and intriguing to me and why I feel like he is a lock at two. I trust that he's going to be able to guard ones and twos at a high level. I believe in him becoming like, I, I mean, he is so much to me like like looking at John Wall and what he could become as an on-ball player. Obviously, I mean, when you bring up that notion, you're talking about, okay, well, what about the shot? But that's a guy that you swing on regardless for me. So exactly. Like I think yep. it, it's all it all comes into that. But I do think like that's just something the something interesting to keep noting, like how hard it is to be a guard in the NBA. Um, and why no, I, think I think it's a great call. That much more important to find the right guys who can be that in the NBA. Yeah, no, I think it's a really, really great call. Like one guy that I was watching over like this past couple of days was Darius McGee at Liberty. And I'm like kind of sneaky in like a little bit. I, yeah. I don't, I need to do more research and I need to learn a little bit more, but like the ball pickup and like the pull up ability is absolutely sick. Like it is absolutely filthy. He averages like 12 threes a game and shoots 40% from three. He's five foot nine. And I don't even know if he's like a real point guard, 
but the shooting, the ball pickup, the ability to get his shot from like literally any angle that he's standing at on the court at all times is absolutely insane. And then I look at it and I'm just like, how many spots in the NBA are there for small guards? What level does he have to be at realistically to be someone that can be this scoring guard that can handle this level of load that he would need to be able to deal with? The standard is so fucking high. Mm -hmm. It's so high. And like Marquise Noel is another one. Like maybe we transition now from San Diego State and Alabama over to another really fun game that we saw last night, which was Marquise Noel just absolutely slice up Michigan State. At 20 points and 19 assists, set the record for assists in the NCAA tournament. Was absolutely phenomenal. That game was absolutely phenomenal. Those two teams, typically at uh, Madison Square Garden in college games, the under is the like tends to be the play there because for whatever reason, maybe it's the bright lights of Madison Square Garden, maybe it's the sight lines that are different from college arenas. I don't know what it is. Typically, unders hit at Madison Square Garden. This game was like 93 to 90 or whatever it was. It was crazy. It was super fun. And Marquise Noel, I think, like, emerged into somebody interesting, at least. I mean, it's hard for small guards, but he is very much an aggressive on-ball defender, uh, a unbelievable passer. I mean, he's been that the entire season. P- people bring up Keontae Johnson for Kansas State. Marquise Noel has been the guy for them the entire season. And I think we've talked about the, that before previously, maybe either you or Spinella at one point. Mm-hmm. But uh, Noel has been the guy for them all season. He's been just absolutely incredibly good. And I'm glad that he's getting his moment, especially at home at Madison Square Garden, especially uh for a Kansas state team. That's one of the most fun stories in college basketball right now. Yeah. Um, no, I like, I, I think what's so interesting and I like, it's one of the things where I want to go back and maybe try and rethink what I feel about Marquise Noel. I think, I mean, the size stuff is just so hard. Um, like I, again, obviously not one for ones, but it makes me like go back and think about all of the guys who were five, nine or shorter that I liked before. Like, Oh, Shit, remember Kay Felder? Like, oh, yeah, look at all this. Look at all that. And, like, I don't know. Like, obviously, the, the Jawan think- Evans hive was real, Jindler. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think he's somebody who I'd like to see in a combine setting or, you know, at yeah. Summer League, see what he does. Um, but that was – just watching him play basketball is awesome. Like, I think that it gets made too much into a novelty because he's short. Like, no, dude, he's freaking awesome. Nobody could guard him yesterday for Michigan yeah. State. Like – and I think that's going to very much be a problem in the next game too for whoever plays him. So I'm a, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see how that continues to play out. Th- that team yeah. has been such a blast to watch this year. If you told me uh, a month into the season that Kansas State was going to be the last Big Twelve team standing, I would have laughed at you. And here we are. So, <laughs> you know what, man, Jerome Tang is a fucking shout out to unreal him, coach. Like every single thing that you do, he's going to figure out how to exploit it. And he's going to go back to the well again and again and again. Like there's a little bit of, you know, like how Eric Musselman tends to beat teams. Like they're part of why Arkansas has been so good in the tournament is Eric Musselman has that very NBA mindset where he figures out what your weakness is 
and then he just attacks it relentlessly. Like yeah. he'll run the same set eight straight times down the court just because that's what's working and that's what's great, right? I, I mean, this is what Jerome Tang's doing. This is what he's doing. He's just going down against Kentucky. It was, we're going to run the same exact set over and over and over again. We're going to get uh, Oscar Shibway in a side ball screen. We're going to attack him where he can't pre-switch, where he can't get any help, and we're going to go. Against um, Michigan State, it was, we're just going to run high ball screens all the time with Marquise Noel and we're going to let him slice it and we're going to go. And then he also figures out some creative sets to run such as the one at the end of the game where he argues with Jerome Tang on the sidelines, pretends to argue, are we going for two? Are we going for three? And then just throws like a laser live dribble pass to a back cutting Keontae Johnson for an alley-oop. I mean, that was sick. Jerome- that was so sick. I loved that so much. Seriously. Like I'm all for Jerome Tang doing whatever he wants to do. But if you're Texas and look like the reason I say Texas versus Kansas state, like Texas job is considered to be like one of the highest level jobs in college basketball. You're searching like has to start and end at this point. I think with Jerome Tang, if you're not going to retain Rodney Terry (coughs) as your coach, Uh, everything I've seen from Tang has just been, this is, this is the real deal as a coach. Like it's the sets, it's the adjustments in game, Everything is super, super impressive. Yeah. Uh, also, just to correct myself, too, I completely forgot Texas exists. So not the last Big 12 team standing. Could no. be by the end of the night. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a long week, and it's only the first day of March Madness this week. But you, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't know where I'd be at with that because I think I've really liked how Texas has responded with Rodney Terry. Um, I, I'll yeah. Scratch that. I'm saying respond is the wrong way to put it. Um Losing there's, a coach there's a response, I think. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't want to frame it as like a, a victory. Like I I really struggle with a lot of this stuff with Chris Beard. We don't have to get into it, but like it I, I do struggle with that stuff being made up as like oh you know, fighting through adversity. Like yeah. okay, there's there's yeah, but um just in terms of the pure encore X's and O's and everything, I've really liked what, what Texas has done this year. Even like I think that I was expecting more from some of the players on the roster, but that's made some of the things that have worked stand out all that much more, in my opinion. So yeah. I, I think, no, I, I mean, don't know, like, it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. Well, like the development of like Sir Jabari Rice and Dylan so awesome. over the course of the season. One of my like favorite potential guys, UDFA two-way guys, Sir Jabari Rice. I know that he's Dissou? like kind of small. Or Jabari Rice. No, yeah. Jabari Rice. No, I'm with you. I'm like really intrigued now on him as a 3 and D guy. Also, I just want to give a shout out to my colleague CJ Moore. CJ hit me in the preseason telling me, hey, like Texas's staff is telling everybody that like Jabari, Sir Jabari Rice is the dude and that like he's like a real guy for you to track. So shout out CJ Moore. Nobody knows the Big 12 better. Uh, he knew he knew this was coming and the Texas staff knew this was coming. They told everybody that this was coming and he's been terrific. He's been, I, I would say, their best perimeter player in a group with Marcus Carr and Tyrese Hunter. Uh, which is just crazy uh, to think about given how highly touted those two have been at other stops. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. 
What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Let's talk about this Houston upset now. And I think where I want to go with it is this. Miami is going to move on. They win against Houston 89-75. We wanted to let this game finish for a minute here before we talked about it. I have not seen a duo of guards slice up Houston's guards in their perimeter defense quite like Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack. I know you didn't quite watch this game uh, as closely as the Alabama San Diego state game. Part of this was like Nigel pack just got nuclear hot from three. Uh, He went seven of 10 from three He had 26 points. He was ridiculous. Right. But like Isaiah Wong blew by these guys whenever they wanted, uh, whenever he wanted. Uh, Wooga Poplar was really good in this game, despite shooting one for seven from three. Uh, Jordan Miller was really terrific in this game. Uh, dished the ball out really, really well, just took what came to him, I thought was really, really sharp. I, I mean, Miami has been absolutely f- like terrific throughout the later portion of the season here. I-, I think that everything that I saw today gave me real pause about Houston uh, and some of the players on the Houston roster, I guess. Yeah, it's something that I definitely am going to be ex- interested to watch tomorrow morning when I go back and and, and, uh, and cycle through the games that I missed. Um, 
but just to speak on the Miami front, because I've watched all their games prior to this one, like I think, and this is not me trying to make a declaration. I've been high on him all year, but I think like to me, Jordan Miller back into the first round is like getting more and more realistic to me as as the year goes. This on. is a this is something I have not heard from genuinely a single person. I think this connected dude, with like, a team. I like, and this is just I, I I'm happy to be wrong on this one. I uh, I would have him like 25 to 35 right now. He is so sound in everything. At some point I need to go through your board with you and see how many players you have 25 (laughs) to 35. That's a fair point, but no, like I actually, I I, I'm, I'm dead ass. I would, he like the, the defense is so, so good. Um, the playmaking is legit. I know that the, the shot is, it can be like the shot is the, the biggest hinge obviously. But I think when you look at him, if you stack him alongside like all the other guys that we talk about back in the first round, if you put Jordan Miller, Jalen Clark, who unfortunately injured, obviously, so I don't know what that means. Probably not in this year's right. draft. Kevin McCuller, I, I'm taking Jordan Miller out of those three guys. And I think like that's – point being, he has been their best player this entire year for, yeah. for my money um, and has been fantastic for them in the tournament as well, especially in the Indiana game. Um, and that that dynamic of those two guards, like was, what what was so interesting in watching that guard team, um, like it it took them a real like a decent amount of the season to really click, but once they finally found what they have with Wong and Pack kind of playing off one another now, yeah, um, they're just at a whole different level offensively, and it's been a blast. And then Wuga Poplar, man, like he's a guy I really want to go back and watch more of just zooming in on him yeah uh throughout the year because he has really popped in some of the things he's done especially in the tournament and in in the acc tourney as well yeah i think he i think poplar is the most interesting prospect on their team long term um the athleticism the defense the potential to shoot it I, i everything i've seen from him says he's the most interesting one long term i still really like Isaiah Wong, like more than some people do. Like, I think he's a two-way guy. Yeah. Uh, I know that, you know, a lot of people think he's just like a gunner and like can't do this and can't do that. I just think he's like good enough uh, as a separator and like is creative enough off the bounce and has like this weird floater game. I'd take a shot on him and on two-way. I also think Jordan Miller is a two-way guy for sure. Like, I- I'm not I'm not opposed to what you're saying. Like, I, I really do quite – I'm quite interested in Jordan Miller for sure. Uh I do think Clark and McCuller are a level above Miller defensively. I think that Miller's offensive game is better than both of theirs by a pretty substantial margin, which makes it pretty interesting when trying to project those guys. Maybe I have been a little bit low on Jordan Miller throughout the season. Yeah. I'm not, I, I, I don't know. I think I'd probably have him like, maybe defensively slightly below Jalen. Cause I think Jalen was the best defensive player in college basketball this year. Yeah. He was I healthy. Agree. Um, but yeah. I would have him over Kevin just because of what he brings as a weak side guy too, like his ability to really roam. And like, I know that like, cause you're, you look at him like, Oh, he's an undersized four, but like he plays with real verticality. His timing's really good. I don't know. I'm just there. And he's like one of the best chasers in basketball, which is huge. Like he's so good at shutting down. Like never forget what he did to Jabari Smith uh, last yeah. year. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I'm going to go back. Like Jordan Miller's like definitely, like I said, like a top 75 or so yeah. guy. For and me, I, def- I, I need to, I, I should clarify myself. I, back end of the first can be like 25 guys right now because yeah. of what it is. So I should have 
probably not said it quite as lately, but I, I don't. Yeah, like, w- would you take? Okay, l- let's play the Schindler game here. Yeah, would you take? Let's see, Colby Jones or Jordan Miller? Probably Colby. Would you take C.D. Sissoko or Jordan Miller? I would take Jordan Miller. Would you take Max Lewis or Jordan Miller? Uh, I, I am really not that high on Max. Um, I would. I think it. I don't want to do the. It depends on the team thing. That's where it gets really close for me because I think. Like, yeah. Okay. I'm um, with it. I think I would probably rather take a swing on Jordan than the Max. Be honest, Terrence Shannon or Jordan Miller? Terrence. So, like Jalen Wilson or Jordan Miller? I would take Jordan Miller over Jalen Wilson. Noah Clowney or Jordan Miller? Uh, that one definitely depends on the team. Because, like, if I have a, if I'm comfortable stashing him in the G League for a year and kind of figuring things out, maybe Clowney. But yeah, uh, that's probably when you start talking about um, Jordan Miller instead, because it's like, well, do we have a year to wait? But you know. Okay, Jet Howard or Jordan Miller? Oh, Jet Howard for sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that one I didn't have to. I was going to see where you were going to go with that. <laughs> yeah. I will say I have Jet like in the 20s right now. So like I'm like if you're going to have him 25 to 35, like you just said, that's a question that you need to ask is like Jet versus Jordan. For but sure. nonetheless. Okay. Uh, my last one for you. Julian Strother or Jordan Miller? I would take Jordan Miller. I know like the shot is cool for Strother and he has some stuff to his offensive game. I just, I've been pretty underwhelmed by him this year from a prospect standpoint. He's been really good as a, just a college player, but I think he didn't really get better defensively for me. Um, I still think the offense is pretty limited outside of like one to two dribble pull up or um, doing some stuff off movement. And it's still valuable, but I think, you know, like there were, talks about him potentially ending up like a top 20 guy or like before the year started. Yeah. And that really just hasn't played out at all. No, I, I think he's a top 40 guy for me. Like yeah. something yeah, like I would that. Get there. Um, made a killer shot last night though. To get Gonzaga. That was it's pretty nice. Can't complain this, about that one. The uh, elite eight. So they ran the Villanova J Wright play where it's a point guard brings the ball up the court, dribble handoff pitch back to the wing. That's trailing the play. Julian Strother gets an open 35 footer, 32 footer, whatever it was, cans it from three. Gonzaga goes to the Elite Eight. They're going to play Connecticut. Uh, a- absolutely terrific, terrific game, I thought, across the board. Uh, r- really, really fun game. Drew Timmy just absolutely destroyed the Adembona list, UCLA front court. Uh, you know, like, look, with Adembona out, UCLA was going to have a tough time dealing with Timmy and they did in the first half, the guards just absolutely demolished Gonzaga and ball screens consistently. I've had real problems with Nolan Hickman and Rashir Bolton defensively the entire season. That was Gonzaga. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the second half, they went to Malachi Smith and Hunter Salas and shut it down. They shut it down. And that length and athleticism really caused problems for Tiger Campbell. This is the team that I think Gonzaga needs to roll with. These are the dudes. Uh, Malachi Smith, Hunter Salas. And look, like there are going to be games where you mix and match, right? Like Rashir Bolton's not bad. I'm not a big Nolan Hickman guy, but he has games where he can be fairly useful out there. I think that you really just got to roll with what brought you. 
uh, kind of. And in this case, Malachi Smith and Hunter Salas is what brought you there uh, yeah. towards success. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, uh, Mal- they don't win that game yesterday without Malachi. Like, he was so yeah. good defensively for them. Or Hunter, frankly. Um, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I felt like, obviously, he had games throughout the year. But when you factor in gravity, that's the biggest game that Malachi's played for them this year and what he brought. I thought that was huge. Um, I am so uh, interested to watch this team play UConn and watch UConn play them, frankly. But, like, um, what was so – like, even if UCLA has a Dembona yesterday – I think they struggle because Bona, like his biggest defensive weakness has been guarding post-ups against stronger guys this year, in my opinion. Um, even as he's got, like, I feel like his defensive feels really improved throughout the year, but that's still been the one thing for me. Um, I mean, shout out to Timmy, man. That was one hell of a freaking basketball game from him yesterday. Um, the, the the one thing that, regardless of how you do or don't feel about him as a prospect, you can say that that dude shows up for big games because holy shit. Um, yeah. Like, he is like their only form of offense in the first half. Um, every time, every yeah. time he's going to show up for big games. Uh, do you feel different about Amari Bailey as a prospect than you did early in the season? Over the last month, yeah. Um, especially yeah. since, and I don't want to say it's because of Jalen Clark's injury. I think a lot of it has coincided with him just getting healthy. Um, obviously, dealt with lower body injuries early on in the year. Uh, like over the last month, he's just looked the most explosive he has all year. Like he's been yeah. able to get into the paint. I still think a lot of his buckets are really tough. He makes enough of them where I think it's you have to be interested by it. But I've been just impressed, especially during uh, the game that they played before Gonzaga um, against Northwestern. I thought that was one of his best games of the season from a prospect standpoint, just in getting into the paint, operating off second side. You still want to see like he really needs to up his three-point shooting volume. Like that's that goes without saying. Um, but the stuff that has been interesting, like the connective playmaking, the being kind of gritty on defense, like the things that weren't there for him for me as a pro- as a prospect last year that he's really found this year and in, in his role in UCLA has been a blast to watch. So I definitely feel better about him as a prospect. I'm still on like I, I try and toggle between whether or not um it makes more sense for him to go back for another year and build off this or if he, I think he should. For yeah, I, that's probably where I would lean to because I think like there's enough good tape where I'm interested, but also I just think he has a chance to go way higher next year if he continues doing this. But also like to be fair, if he has another injury, then maybe things go differently. But I don't know. I think I, I wouldn't fault the team taking him this year, but if he doesn't, if he's not like if his feedback isn't you're going in the first round, I would go back. Like that's the kind of easy one. Yeah, and I, I don't really see him as a first rounder right now. Do you? Yeah, I think that I don't want to say it would be a reach, but I think that's like very much like okay, well, we can we can work on building this for throughout your rookie deal because I don't think he's ready to be an impact player for a year or two. So, would you take him or Jaime Hawkes? Oh, I would take him over Jaime for sure. But I'm to be fair, I'm like a lot lower on Jaime's uh, NBA translation. I just think Jaime is like so tough and like, that's just kind of a guy I want to like have in my program on some level. And by the way, like, I don't really think either of them are first round picks. Like I wouldn't take either of them uh, in the top 30. It's just, I think that I would just rather, if I'm not taking either of them in the top 30, I would rather have the guy that I think has like a chance to play within the next two years for me, which is Jaime Mm -hmm. as opposed to Amari. I think Um, if I'm taking a guy in the first and like, I'm giving him a four year deal and 
going down the long pathway of development, that's one thing. But yeah, with Amari, I, I don't know. I feel I think Amari would be risking a lot by going now as opposed to later. Uh, UConn, you mentioned uh, against Arkansas. Connecticut has been the best team in the tournament so far. Yeah. Uh, they were a team that I thought was the best team throughout at least the first half of the year and then throughout the last you know quarter of the year, I guess. And now they're rolling again. This is the this is a great team. This is a genuinely great team, I think. Uh, they went through that weird patch in the middle of the year. But I, I think that everything I've seen from them says they're the best team in the country right now. I think that they cause an, an immense number of problems for Gonzaga because they have multiple bodies they can throw at Timmy. They have shooting. They're going to be more than happy to run with Gonzaga. Uh, like they're just athletic. They get up and down the court. Like it's fine. If you want to run with UConn, go ahead. They have better athletes than Gonzaga does. Like, I, I think UConn, UConn's my pick right now to win the title. I have UConn in a uh, bracket still. So, like, I picked them before the tournament. I, I'm a big fan. Yeah. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how – because, like, I mean, the biggest thing will be how do uh, how does Gonzaga's guard tandem hold up? I mean, guard group hold up against – UConn, I think, you know, if they struggle to shut down things uh, at the level, then you're talking about what that can look like behind. And I, that's where you start feeling bad. So I'm interested to see what that looks like. Um, I, what I, I would want to say too with UConn, um, Jordan Hawkins hasn't like shot incredibly well in the tournament, but I continue to just be really impressed with his ability to attack off the dribble and get downhill. I think there were some really impressive things with that in the Arkansas game. Um, and man, Klingon has been so fun to watch. Like they just yeah. have a completely different verb with him on the court. And obviously like Sonogo is still really, really good and does a ton of awesome things for him. Like, I mean, he was borderline unstoppable against St. Mary's. Um, but yep. Klingon was mo- like just monstrous in that Arkansas game. And I think when you're talking about what, like I still am not on the Klingon this year guy train, but like if he has a really good game against, Gonzaga, I think you should go next year. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But I think like another important touch point for seeing what he does in this this coming up game, playing against arguably the best front court player in the country. So um yeah, I'm gonna be really interesting. Gonna be really, really interesting. The other guy that I would bring up here um is Anthony Black. Uh, look, I thought Arkansas played horribly yesterday. I thought they were terrible. And yeah. Anthony Black was not. Anthony Black brought it the entire game. He was the one keeping them in that thing defensively at the point of the attack. You had that monster chase down block in recovery uh, at the end of the first half. If I remember correctly, he should have, he had one assist. He should have ended up with like five or six. It felt like he was like the only one getting any sort of penetration and kicking out. It's just that Arkansas can't shoot. Everything I saw from Anthony black in that game was something where I'm like, I want to invest in that guy. I feel very good about him as a pro. Fully agree. And he was playing on a bum ankle too. Like he, if I remember correctly, injured it during the first game and um, had just been playing his ass off. Like you mentioned, he's one of the guys who I uh, like, I think NBA spacing gets overused when talking about NBA prospects. Like, oh, well just think about what they're going to look like with NBA spacing, especially with how well spaced some college teams are now at this level. Like obviously it's all context dependent, but like, he is like the guy in this class for yeah. talking about, well, what does this look like when he's playing with, with, you know, a different lineup um, 
that I'm very interested to see. And he'll, I mean, he, he just does so many things that I love on the basketball court. He's an incredibly fun player. Uh, had well, exactly like you mentioned, I think he was like kind of the only prospect on that team who played super well. Like Jordan Walsh played well, but didn't really answer any questions I had about his game. Yeah, he, um, he has to go back. He, yeah. He's nowhere near the mark offensively in the NBA. For sure. Yeah, no, I don't, I just don't want to diminish and say that he had like a terrible tournament. I just thought like yeah. in terms of prospect questions, it didn't answer anything for me. And then Nick Smith was just really rough. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what Nick Smith, I, I honestly do not know where he goes in draft night. Uh, I, I've never, I have not had Nick Smith in the top 10 for months now, I think, but I think the floor is pretty low right now. Like he needs to have a, gr- if he has a great pre-draft process, like he can reduce that pretty substantially. But Right now, I think the floor for him is lower than what people think. He really did not play well uh, this year at Arkansas. Like, re- I know that there were injuries. I know that, you know, he broke down after their win uh, against Kansas in the second round and kind of said that, like, there's a lot of stuff that people haven't seen that, like, he went through and, like, that the team went through this year to get to this point. I think there's still a lot that remains to be seen with Nick Smith. He has to have a killer pre-draft process, I think. The last thing I want to finish on before we move forward here in this discussion here, this was like a disaster couple of days for NBA draft prospects. We talked about Brandon Miller's struggles. We didn't talk about Noah Clowney's struggles. He was he was terrible today. Like he was this, this was one of the worst Noah Clowney games I've seen all year. Uh didn't really defend well in space think he was just super over aggressive in terms of fouling didn't provide anything offensively showcased all of the things that make him a project long-term as opposed Mm -hmm. to someone that is anywhere near playing in the NBA right now um, to play the prospect game, Leonard Miller, Noah Clowney. Oh, Leonard for sure. Strong agree. Okay. Um, Jairus Walker. If you look at the counting numbers, it's not going to be that bad. I think he ended up with something like, you know, maybe here, I'll pull it up while I'm doing this, but 16 points, 11 rebounds, five assists, four blocks, but smoked like felt like five or six layups. He goes for that stupid, like little push floater shot at the basket all the time. And if you're going up against length, like it's just harder to finish those shots. I don't know why he does it. Um, Marcus Sasser today was okay. Went four of 12 from the field, four assists, Again, like didn't look totally healthy, didn't look to have the same burst that we've seen from him throughout the course of the season. Uh, and then yesterday, it felt like Nick Smith also really struggled. It felt like Anthony Black was really the only guy that stood out and truly emerged into being, uh, into like standing out in the way that we wanted him to, to, like, you know, Julian Phillips, it felt like he didn't really do anything either for Tennessee in that game. The, why Why are these NBA prospects struggling, I guess, is my point. What, what is happening? It's uh, a good question. I think my immediate takeaway is that – and I don't – this is not just saying other teams are winning because they're older, but, like, look at San Diego State's average starting age for guys. Yeah. Like, they're my age. They're like 24, 25, like legitimately like what Matt Bradley is. I think almost 24 Nathan yeah. Mensa is actually older than me. If I remember correctly, 
Like he's been playing college basketball since I went to Michigan State for my first year in 2015. Like Nathan Mensa is 24, about to turn 25. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it, I, I think that's part of it, to be honest. I do think uh, that having the COVID waivers has legitimately changed up things. Like in terms of, yeah. like obviously, like there have always been teams that are older, but I think this has been this is new. Like having this level is completely different. Like I'll never forget last year when Kansas won and Jalen Coleman lands played. And I remember I'd been watching a game like the week before I went back and I like watched a game from, I think he actually is older than you. Yeah. Oh, he actually is. But yeah, no, I remember like going and watching, I can't remember whose game I watched beforehand, but like you saw on the, on the stat ticker and it's from like 2016. And I was like, Jalen Coleman lands during his freshman year at DePaul. And I'm like, (laughs) It was like, exactly. Like when you think about how some of these rosters are built, like it's legitimately a ton of guys who have played five, six years in college. So I I think it's that I will also just say, I think this draft is like, I think this draft is getting a little bit too much credit for being like a super strong draft. Yeah. I think I'd say it's the, it's very top heavy uh, the way that it's worked out. Because like when you think about some of the guys who were, supposed to be upper end or back end lotto and how, how things went for them this year. I think that's really tanked. What was going to be, what looked like a pretty deep draft. Strong agree. Uh, I think this is a draft of guys that in the middle of next season, outside of like Vic and scoot and, you know, maybe Brandon Miller, people are going to ask like, wait, this draft was supposed to be amazing. What happened? Like why, why are so many of these guys struggling? It's because a this is a super young draft class. Like there are not a lot of upperclassmen that truly emerged first and foremost. And then number two, it, it's just a draft class that is like very raw. It feels like to me the guys that are going to be taken are like uncut gems almost. Uh, we'll have to see what that looks like. But okay, Mark, we're we're going to do this for twenty minutes. We're going to do NBA Defensive Player of the Year. Cool. Do you think that NBA Defensive Player of the Year this year has been one of the most fun races across the college ba- or across the NBA ecosystem? Because I kind of do. I think it's been like a, a super fun awards race. Yeah, no, I, I think it has. Um, it, it's a lot more fun than talking about the uh, the other elephant in the room. Um, so I'm excited no, about I, this one. We're not we're not talking about. No, it. yeah, we're, it doesn't. We're exist. not doing it. Um, it doesn't exist. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, I will say it is. I don't want to say it's locked up with 10 games, anything can happen. But to me, like this, if I could give a vote, I know who I would give it to right now. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'm struggling with it for what it's worth. Okay. I have two guys. I think it's definitely down to two guys. Like, I don't even think it's close. Like, I think those two guys are in a tier above everybody else. And it's one of those two and that's it. But I, I, the more I dig into it, the more I struggle with who to pick of those two. Okay. Who are so your two names? My two names are Brooke Lopez and Jaron Jackson. Those are my two names as well. So let's do this first before we do Brooke Lopez versus Jaron Jackson. I think I had you come with five, right? Yep. Who would be your fifth best? Yeah. So fifth best, this is where I think fifth for me, Cause I just have a list. So trying to do it down to a fifth, I think it would be Mitch Rob for me would be fifth. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's um, in my top like eight or nine. So yeah, because yeah. he's just been he's been really good this year. Just has done a ton of really impressive things. Worth noting too, like New York is in kind of a weird slide defensively uh, over the yeah. last month. Like they've not been terrible, but um, it's been kind of blah. But uh, he's still been really impactful for them. Their defense has been really good all year. Um, fourth. I do okay, so technically Mitch Rob would be six for me, but fourth, fourth, I mean fifth would be Clax. Like Nick Claxton has still been really good. That is who I have. It's I, he obviously he slid a little bit. Like I think he, I, I think I had him third last time that we talked on on defensive player of the year. Obviously Brooklyn's defense has fallen off. Like they've just fallen off as a team. That's what happens when you lose your two best players. I just can't deny what he did for like the first fifty five games of the season, and he's still been really good in his role and doing what he needs to do. It's just. The team is different, so I, I don't. I don't want to discount what has been a still a really incredible year for him. So Brooklyn's defense, because I also have Claxton fifth. Uh, Brooklyn's defense over this like little fourteen game run where they're five and nine and you know struggling a little bit since the moves, they're still eleventh, and that defense I think has actually been pretty okay. And, and Claxton has been the reason that I think that they have stopped the free fall. At the end, like the, the free fall has stopped because of the defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Claxton deserves the credit for that. Obviously, getting Mikhail Bridges is a big part, piece of this, too. I will say, like, I, I think as Mikhail is focused a little bit more on offensive production with Brooklyn, the defense has been great, but not like what it was in Phoenix. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I have Claxton right now at five. I don't really want to dive too deep into some of these guys because I think we're going to have a more robust conversation about the top two. Uh, number sure. four, who do you have? Uh, four for me would be Joel Embiid right now. Um, I still okay. think like it's I, worth I don't noting. have him in the top ten, so this is going to be fun. Okay, yeah, no, I still think it's worth noting, like because again, last time that we talked, uh, I had him on my short list. I don't think he was top five, but their defense yeah. has just been awesome. Uh, and a really big reason for why they've succeeded in, in 2023. Yep. He's been a large part of that. Um, like not that yep. like they have real defensive players throughout the roster, but I think his defense has been really, really damn good. Like obviously there are going to be some of the nights where I don't think his defense is as strong or consistent, but he's still been from other than my top guy, the best like straight up main rim protector in the NBA. Um, like not, you know, not playing the four. I mean, like who who's pretty solely playing the five, I would have him there. Um, he's been really damn good defensively. I, I, I can't quibble with having him outside of it, but that's where I would be right now. Yeah. The thing with him is that he takes some possessions off here and there. Sure. And I do think that you can still catch them and drop like pretty regularly a bit more than you can catch like Brooke. Or even like Jared, like I have Jared Allen ahead of him right now. And I think Jared has been really good defensively. I don't have Jared in my top five. Uh, I have another cab in my top five that we're going to talk about. But I think that with Joel, the possession by possession stuff is ultimately what stops me. I would have him somewhere in my top 15 or so. uh, Probably top 20. At the very least, top 20. He could be like 11th. He could be 14th, whatever it is, but I knocked him down just a little bit lower because of the possession by possession stuff. And because I think that he is not quite as versatile 
And I think you can take advantage of some of what he brings to the table a little bit more than other pure drop defenders like Brooke, like, you know, Jarrett's not really a pure drop coverage defender, but they do drop with Jarrett a lot. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. I think, you know, honestly, to be fair, like I think I maybe way too heavily weighted those moments where he just takes over. Like I think like there are the and he moments, does. especially like, like it's not when, you know, when we talk about De'Aaron Fox being like the clutch offensive player of the year this year, man, Joel has got to be like the clutch defensive player of the year. If that was a thing, yeah. like his ability to turn it up in the last five minutes of a game is so impressive to me. And again, like then you're talking about, okay, well, why isn't like that all the time? His, I mean, he's got like 35, 36% usage to be fair, but like, I, I, I don't really disagree with you. Um, I'd be fine having him lower. I, I will say like Joel Embiid is allowing 61% uh, for opponents to shoot at the rim this year, which is not great for someone like that. He contests a lot and does like a pretty good job of just like being big. But I do think it's a lot of earlier in games. He does take a couple possessions here and there off. And I think that that can lead to it. And which is ultimately why I ended up with him outside of my top 10 that I did. My number four was bam. And it's just like the most versatile switchable defender in the NBA. And uh, every time I watch bam, I'm just like, this is, this is very clear. This is probably even more of an, uh, me just watching with my eyes and understanding what I'm watching pick as opposed to the numbers pick. Damn, Bam you're about to call me a calculator casual. Uh, no, I do I know, not I'm have calling, Bam in my top five. Calling, I would have Bam's yeah. on my again. Like Bam would be top ten for me, but I just think as amazing as his offense has been, his defense has just been like two, three percent worse for me. And I just don't think it's been quite as good as some of the guys that would have in the top five. I'd be fine having him over like Mitch Rob or or maybe Clax, but I think I would probably have those guys over him right now. But I mean, so, mainly it's I, just Miami's defense as a whole has been pretty rough. I mean, they're eighth in defensive efficiency right now. And like they're eighth in defensive efficiency with like 36 year old Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero playing a bunch of minutes. Max. Drew's oh, no, I mean, sorry, I, I should have qualified. Like, uh, like <laughs> basically, like since January, their defense has been pretty rough. And I think a lot of that's coincided yeah. with like, again, like Bam's had to do a lot more heavy lifting on offense. Um, so again, that's not trying to take away from him, but it does factor in for me a little bit. Yeah, he's just so switchable. He flies all over the place. Like, it's just one of those deals where I'm just like, when I watch this dude, I'm just like, this guy is unbelievable defensively. He's the most versatile defender in the NBA. Like, all due respect to Giannis, who I had, I think, at six, if I remember correctly. Um, six or seven, I believe. Um, to me, Bam is the most versatile defender. He, he's physical. He's a good post defender. He flies around and help. Like it, it's when I, when I watch him, I'm just like, this is the scheme. Bam is the scheme for Miami because they're super, they, they do a lot of different stuff. They're aggressive in ball screen actions from time to time. They switch from time to time. Like they, they can do anything because Bam is there and because he exists. Like he is the scheme. Yeah. No, that's fair. I, I'm not, I'm not yeah. like, I don't think that we're far off. I just, it's, it is a really good field this year. It is. Uh, who do you have at number three? <sighs> yeah. Number three for me, dude, this is, this is so tough. I really want to have uh, one of Evan Mobley or Jared Allen here. Um, I like, I think my biggest issue is trying to decipher between them. I don't it's know. It's hard. Yeah. 
Like, I think I tend to lean towards Evan being the best defender of both of them. But then you also factor in, okay, well, is he able to do the same without Jarrett? I mean, like, part of what makes them such a dynamic duo is that they're fucking duo. Like, you know, having both of them together is what unlocks Evan to be so good in what he does. Um, But also, like... Their synergy together is unbelievable. I want to give them joint defensive player of the year is basically where I'm at. Uh, yeah, it's, so that part is really hard because they're so good. Um, I, I'm just, did you have Mobley as, as your guy? I have, so I have Mobley and it's hard because this is a full season award. And I think that for the first half, it was probably Jarrett that was better. I think that Jarrett's just like ability to protect the rim and consistently shut that area down. I completely agree with you. Like it opens up Evan to fly around and help to be a little bit more switchable to do X, Y, and Z. Right. I think that over the back half here, Evan has been like unbelievable. Like I, I am, I, I am blown away when I watch him defensively. It's the switchability. It's the fact that he's a little bit stronger and can like hold up. It feels like a little bit better uh, when guys try to take advantage of that and out leverage out leverage him. It's it's the help. He's just constantly available. Like he, he is so long and he's just flying around constantly scrambling around everywhere. Uh, his instincts have gotten that much cleaner and that much better. It feels like when I watch him, I went with Evan. I also had Jarrett in my top 10. I think that these two both have a very real case to make all defense teams. I, I don't totally know how to parse between the two of them, but I, I like I completely agree with you. What makes them so good is that they're a tandem and their synergy together is phenomenal. I, I went with Evan. I think Evan's ability to scramble around and be just like more active and aggressive and everything is is why I chose him and I think he's been a little bit better over the second half. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I would, I would lean Evan as well. It's just like I think that's one of the ones where I look at him like, damn, this is really hard to. It's hard. hard to pin down. It's really, really hard. Okay, number one and number two, we have Brooke Lopez and Jared, Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. Who do you have it to? Uh, Jaron. I do too. And I went into this. You have Jaron at two. You said right. Yes. I went into this assuming that Jaron was going to be my pick for defensive player of the year. I was just like, look, he's been unbelievable the whole way. I think that their rim protection numbers have been astronomical in the minutes that he's played this year. He's more switchable than Brooke, et cetera, et cetera. And then I like really dug into the numbers. Brooke Lopez this year, there's a stat that got shared uh, yesterday. Uh, stat got shared by the lead. Brooke Lopez has contested 1,219 shots this year. Do you know who is second in having contested the most shots this year? Uh, I'm trying to think who is it. Is it Nicole Jokic? No, it's Evan Mobley. Uh, that was a dumb answer. But, like, I know, like, you contest a lot. doesn't really do anything. But, yeah, uh, it's with yeah. Mobley. Do you know how many shots Evan Mobley has contested? Less than 1,000. Yeah. He has contested 800. Uh, 
Brooke Lopez has contested 1,219 shots this year. Evan Mobley has contested 803. There is a bigger gap between Brooke at number one and Evan Mobley at number two than Evan Mobley at number two and the person who is ranked 49th in this stat Damn. in terms of having contested shots. Brooke Lopez's impact defensively, I think, just being constantly available and consistently stopping teams from being able to get their offense and doing it efficiently, I think is why. I think he's why he is the number one pick for Defensive Player of the Year this year. Jaron, look, Jaron's been unbelievable. By the way, these two teams, Milwaukee and Brooklyn, or Milwaukee and Memphis right now, dead heat tied for second in defensive rating right now behind Cleveland. And when you watch Brooke, it's just that he is so enormous inside teams. Just like it feels like they don't even go in there against Milwaukee. Now Uh, he still finds ways to contest shots, but like, it's just, it's crazy. It is genuinely crazy how good he is as a rim protector and how often he finds his way into contesting shots and help how strong he is rotationally. He is, he is everywhere for Milwaukee. And I think he is more than Giannis for sure. He is the guy for them this year defensively. I I don't even really think it's close. Yeah, I agree. Um, And also just got to give a big shout out to what he's done this last month because he's taken on an even bigger offensive role, 21 points, six boards a game on 68% true shooting been awesome in March and he was doing some of that in February as well it's been a great year but exactly like you mentioned like the defense uh his ability to just completely wall off anything in the paint has been awesome to watch and I think it's worth noting too like when you're talking about context and stuff um having guards as good as they have at staying over top and keeping things in front has been so astronomically important because I think yeah. and this is not to totally um just bring things up for, for MB, but I do think it, it's some, one of the things that I think is worth noting in terms of like talking about context and environment, like part of the reason that I think Brooke is having this incredible season where he's showcasing his best skill, like being this incredible rim protector is because of how incredible Javon Carter and Drew Holiday have been at being able to kind of keep things on an Island and not make things so easy to just be like, all right, well, we're just going to pull up. And I think, to his credit, too, what's been so fun in watching Brooke this year has been how well he's navigated that space. You know, like everything's not always just I'm all the way back at the rim. Like I think he's been really good at, you know, coming out a little bit higher and gauging the distance and making it harder for teams to just be like, we're going to kill you with pull-ups. Um, that's been the most fun aspect of watching this Milwaukee team for me this year has been how they've kept that defense so consistent throughout the year. Because obviously, you know, the offense died multiple times and it, you know it started off dead for to, to begin the year honestly um it's obviously come along now but like when you're looking at how steady the defense has been throughout the year he's such a large part of that i mean he is the largest part of that and that's why he would be my defensive player of the year right now the the other thing that i think is getting missed here with jaron is that i think that like the steven adams impact defensively is like very, very real for them. And that's not to say Jaron's been phenomenal, but like it's more that Steven Adams has had an incredibly underrated defensive season that again, like I would have Steven Adams like somewhere in my top like 15 right now, like for defensive player of the year. 
He's been great. He's been like absolutely incredible protecting the rim this year defensively. Just his physicality inside, like he is enormous. If you look at the numbers in terms of like the difference for, you know, defense when Jaron Jackson is on with Steven Adams, you know, they give up 107.3 points per 100. When Jaron Jackson is on with Steven Adams off the court, they give up 109 points per 100 possessions. Uh, With Brooke Lopez on the court, Without Giannis and Tedekumpo, they give up 108.4 points per 100 possessions. When both Giannis and Brook are on, they actually give up more points per 100 possessions. Like, Brook has actually like led defenses that have been better without Giannis than when Giannis is on the court. And I guess that what I'm saying here is that often Giannis, you know, gets all of this attention for being the defensive player of the year candidate. And he's like a very worthy you know, someone again that I would have somewhere in the top 15, 10, something like that in defensive player of the year. I think that we're also reducing the impact of what Steven Adams has done defensively versus uh, I, I think that like basically Steven Adams and Giannis this year have been somewhat comparable defensively is what I'm trying to say this year uh, in the minutes that they have played. I, I think that Steven Adams has been that good. Uh, you know, maybe Giannis has been a little bit better defensively, but I, I think that that's the difference here uh, for me is that Jaron gets talked about like he is the catalyst for everything defensively. And I think that's not quite true. Like I think Steven Adams is almost just as good. And I think Dylan Brooks has been incredible defensively too, by the way, like, you know, people talk about Drew holiday, having Drew holiday chase over the top of screens all the time. You know, I was talking to Jason Timp on his show. Like he just said that he thinks Dylan Brooks is like the best one-on-one defender in the league. And I think that's like a little bit crazy, but Dylan Brooks has been an incredible like on ball defensive player this season. So I just say all this to say both of these defensive player of the year candidates are insulated by incredible defenses around them. Uh, I don't really think there's like an enormous difference in terms of like comparing defensive talent on Milwaukee versus comparing like the defensive play that Memphis has had this season. No, that's fair. Um, I think that's something I'd have to sit with a little bit more. I, I, uh, I th- like exactly what you're mentioning. I think a lot of it's the difficulty in trying to parse down like role and how much you're carrying. Because I think for me, I probably just wait what Brooke does a little bit more than Jaron. And I don't mean that to be negative. I think like to be honest, if Jaron had played the entire season, and that's not to discount him. Like this is part of the reason why I don't have AD on here is he's played. He's, I don't think he's played yeah. two thirds. He's played barely two thirds of the season, uh, like not even. Um, yeah. So that's why I wouldn't have him. And I think that's part of the reason why I probably struggle with having Jared number one. Like, and I, like obviously, if you have like the singular best impact, then I don't want to discount that. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I think when you're looking solely at what Brooks has done as like the very best at what he's doing, um, I would be there. Like that's, it's just been that, that damn good all year. Yeah. And like, look, I'll hear out a case that Jaron has been a better per minute defender this year than Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez has played like 35 to 40% more minutes than Jaron has this year. That's like, that's not just a small difference. That's a big difference. Like Brooke Lopez has played almost 2,200 minutes this year. Jaron Jackson has played like 1550 in terms of minutes this year. That's a huge, huge difference in terms of just being out on the court, being available, 
contesting numbers of shots being there. I, I would can come close to conceding. Look, I think that Jaron maybe has been better on a per possession basis than Brooke. I think it's very close. I just think that the sheer quantity of what Brooke has done this season outweighs that per minute play that Jaron has given this year. Mm-hmm. No, that's fair. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, okay. Mark, we got to get you out of here. You have to go do a show with Zach Milner. That is the guy correct. That we mentioned earlier on the show. Yeah. Tell the people um, all about what's going on with everything in your life, please. Dude, yeah, no, we actually, we got to do phone call and catch up. I have a lot going on, but no, things are good. Uh, it has been busy. March is insane. Uh, there's only a week left of it. Feels like it just started the other day and also like it's been seven months together. But yeah, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Uh, you can join, uh, I mean, I've of course, listen to Tag the Roll, the draft podcast I host with our friend Zach Milner. Um Follow our playback stream where I will be in like five minutes uh, where we watch games like every night and uh, continue watching March Madness with us. Thanks as always for having me on, man. Of course, man. This has been great. I just got my COVID vaccination earlier today and every time it hits me. And I think that if people watch on the YouTube stream, they're going to see my face get paler as we did this conversation. I'm starting to feel it a little bit. I'm praying for you. I'm hoping, hoping it that it, it uh, reverses course because I I don't want yeah, that for the, you. The, the sinuses are starting to go a little bit. I will have a mock draft on Monday, uh, go, or no Tuesday. It'll be Tuesday up at the Athletic. So go uh, read that. I'll have a couple other things coming up. Uh, go rate, review, subscribe to the show on YouTube. Uh, go shoot likes onto the video, etc. Go subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you use, et cetera. Uh, please uh, come join us on Sunday when Spinella and I do another show. Uh, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. Bye.